We're going to look at chapter 19 and 20 of Revelation together. And uh, as we do, uh, we're going to pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us about yourself. You teach us all we need to know for life and salvation. You teach us how to live as your people. Help us as we read this part of your word this morning. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to grow in our uh, faith in you. Uh, help us to grow as followers of Jesus. And help us in this that you might be further glorified, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The people of the book. Uh, the people of the book is a term that Muslims have traditionally used for certain religious groups that are guided by what they consider to be uh, previous revelations of Scripture, not strictly on the right path according to Islam, but the Quran includes Jews and Christians in this, uh, this category, the people of the book. Uh, such groups are traditionally given certain liberties. In Muslim societies, they are free to practice their religion as long as they pay a certain tax. Muslim men are technically allowed to marry Christian women, and those women are allowed to continue attending Christian prayer and worship because they are people of the book. Uh, there's a certain respect that the Quran affords there. Now, I can't say how much this is the case today. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it varies widely if it's practiced in Muslim communities. And in many situations, I'm sure the principle is entirely ignored. Uh, but Christians uh, can use the same phrase to refer to ourselves. Uh, Christians can certainly call ourselves people of the book, and we mean something very different to, <laughs> to this phrase uh, than, than the Quran means. Uh, the Word of God, the book that we live by, tells us about a book that has our names in it. In Revelation, we've been learning quite a bit about the book of life. We've seen the Lamb's book of life a number of times so far. In Revelation, it's the book in which the names of God's people are written before creation. It's the book which, if your name is written in it, you are safe from the judgment of God, safe from God's judgment for sin. Or is it stated negatively here at the end of chapter 20, if your name is not found in the book of life, you're thrown into the lake of fire, suffer the second death. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, the book of life is without a doubt uh, the most important book to have your name written in. If we're people of this book, we are God-saved and protected people. Uh, chapters 19 and 20 of Revelation really highlight and bring to a conclusion uh, Revelation's description of that, that final judgment of sin and the final destiny of all people. Uh, all of God's enemies who we've met so far meet their demise in these chapters and we get a stark reminder of the two future realities open to all people. There are two women compared here and two feasts and all people will be invited to one or the other of these feasts. Uh, first of all, a quick look at, again at the two women and we're reminded of the demise of the prostitute as heaven rejoices. Uh, Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Follow along with me there. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah, 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Uh, This woman, the prostitute, uh, Babylon, uh, here representing Rome, uh, ultimately representing any city or culture or society that opposes God and persecutes his people, her defeat is celebrated in heaven. Not because heaven revels in violence against God's enemies, but because heaven revels in the justice and righteousness of God. Uh, Heaven rejoices at the rule of God. And this, this reign of God ushers in a wedding and introduces the second woman Uh, In contrast to the prostitute, we meet the bride of the Lamb. Uh, Chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. Follow with me there. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. God's people here, being made ready to be be joined finally and forever with their Saviour. More on this marriage celebration next week. But we also see there are the first of two feasts here. You want to be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is a good feast to be invited to. Uh, This is the feast you'll be at if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, You don't want to be at the feast that's described next. Uh, We meet the Lamb again a bit further down, but in a similar description to John's vision of Jesus in chapter 1. Jesus the warrior arrives to defeat the beast and his sidekick, And in a description of the battle between Jesus and the kings of the earth, which we've seen already a couple of times before, think of Armageddon, uh, the beast and the second beast, which is called the false prophet here, uh, they are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and their armies are destroyed with the sword from Jesus' mouth. As this happens, there's another feast that an invitation is issued to. uh, Verse uh, 17 and 18. Chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Now there's a feast you don't want to be part of. Uh, A great flock of birds feasting on the flesh of God's defeated enemies. It's pretty gory, but again, not glorifying violence. Remember that revelation is highly symbolic. Jesus himself is the word of God, and the sword from his mouth is his word, is God's word. And this is what he uses to defeat his enemies. It's the powerful truth of the gospel that brings judgment to God's enemies, the gospel, the the news of Jesus' death for sin and his resurrection to life again, brings salvation through faith in him. This is the word of both salvation and judgment. 
he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so you either follow him or you're defeated by him. Uh, you either receive the salvation he offers or you accept God's wrath against sin yourself. Uh, chapter 19, uh, verses 13 to 16, uh, skip back to this little uh, bit of this description uh, of Jesus here. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, Jesus defeats sin and death by uh, his death on the cross. Uh, have a look at how the Apostle Paul describes it in Colossians. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus defeats evil, uh, defeats his enemies by dying on the cross, by offering the salvation that they need in, in replace of the judgment that's coming. Uh, remember, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. That's how he wins. Uh, and the army who follows him, well, they don't lift a finger to defeat God's enemies. He is the king. He is the Lord. He's the victorious one. And we are victorious by participating in his victory. Uh, there have been a lot of great things said about Queen Elizabeth this week. Perhaps the most powerful woman in the world during her reign, uh, respected for her poise, her service, her commitment and humility. Uh, someone worthy of looking up to in many ways, worthy of imitating perhaps, uh, certainly worthy of respect and a certain honour. But that's not the kind of monarch who commands the hearts of Christians. A king, a king that she agreed all Christians serve and submit to. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our task is to bow to him and to share the good news about him. Uh, he is the powerful word, the saviour. And as we testify to him in this world, the word of the gospel is our weapon. Uh, we hold fast to the gospel and share the great message of salvation as we serve our king and as we persevere against opposition in the world. Uh, again, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians to do this uh, as we face any kind of hardship or opposition. Ephesians 6 verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, it's the word which will save and protect God's people. It's the word which will judge those who persist in rebellion against him. And it's the word which will continue to save those who don't yet believe. So, 
the enemies of God and his people. And uh, in that section, the beast and the false prophet or the second beast, uh, both of whom we've seen earlier in the book, they're defeated by the lamb. Jesus, the warrior king who wields the mighty word of God. And next in line is Satan. Uh, Firstly, in chapter 20, uh, we see Satan bound, uh, seized and bound for a thousand years. Uh, Chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, the thousand-year period mentioned here, uh, the millennium, uh, is mentioned only here in all of Scripture. Uh, It's not described in detail or in this way anywhere else in the Bible, yet it's a a phrase, a period of time that gets a lot of airtime. It determines uh, many people's entire understanding of the book of Revelation. Uh, It has more written about it than possibly any other part of the book, entire Series of Christian fiction have been written based on these few verses. Uh, Movies have been made. And it's been the source of debate between Christians for centuries. Now, because this is the only place we read about it, well, there are lots of questions. Uh, Is it actually 1,000 years or is it more of a symbolic time period? When exactly does it happen and when does Jesus return happen in relation to this time period what happens to the church before uh, during and after the millennium Uh, now i'm not going to be answering all the questions you might have this morning about uh, the millennium Uh, uh, not not in any great detail at least Uh, i'm sure you'll go away uh, with questions uh, and and ideas that may be quite different to uh, what i'm going to say about the, the these thousand years today Um, But what we're going to do is work hard to take our cues from the passage itself. (laughs) Let's do that. Um, We're going to take our cues from the passage itself and some other parts of the Bible. And I'm going to give you what I think is the clearest way to understand uh, these verses. Uh, If you're in uh, a growth group, uh, there'll be opportunities to discuss this further during the week, um, if you're not in a growth group, take a growth group uh, study because there's some information in that that uh, will uh, give a little more detail on what Christians have thought about the millennium uh, over time. Uh, but let's have a look at uh, these verses in Revelation 20. Uh, and first we're going to think about, well, what does the passage tell us about when this thousand-year period is and what the church are doing during this time? Uh, chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Verses 4 to 6. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. 
Uh, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So note there that the church uh, reigning with Christ during this, this time period. Uh, and we're given a fairly clear description of the time period that it covers. It's between the first resurrection, that's Jesus' resurrection, which all believers share in, and the second death, which we'll see described in more detail shortly. Uh, the second death, which has no power, over those who share in the first resurrection. Uh, again, who is it that the, the second death has no power over? Well, it's Christians. It's all, all Christians. Uh, now, we've already learned in Revelation that Jesus' death and resurrection provides salvation to his people and makes them into a kingdom of priests to serve and reign with him. Now, there are several passages that use very similar language to Revelation 20. Uh, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now the Apostle Peter says a similar thing, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that if we share in, uh, if, we're, if we're Christians, we share in Christ's resurrection and that we're raised with Christ because of his resurrection and in the sense already seated with him in heaven. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If we're Christians, we belong to Christ and we share in his resurrection. So this is a period of time between Jesus' resurrection, a resurrection all believers share in, being united with Christ by faith, and the second death, the time when Jesus will return for that final judgment. Uh, the millennium, this thousand-year period, uh, on that basis is the time that we're currently living in. The millennium is now. This is the thousand years. Uh, trusting in Jesus for salvation from sin and waiting for him to return and finally consummate his kingdom. Uh, during this period of time, the passage says Satan is bound. Now, in what sense is Satan bound? I don't know about you, but I look around the world and I think that well, Satan's actually pretty active, isn't he? <laughs> He's getting about doing a lot of stuff, stuff we wish he wasn't doing. But Satan is bound. Uh, he doesn't have free reign. In fact, for Satan, the gig is already up. Uh, Satan is bound by the gospel. Uh, and this is just what Jesus said he came to do. Uh, at one point, Jesus is casting out demons and he's accused of doing so by the power of Satan himself. Well, Jesus affirms that the opposite is true, that Jesus has come to bind Satan. Uh, Mark 3, verse 27. Uh, this is Jesus' reply to, say that, uh, to those who say that he's in league with Satan. Mark 3, verse 27. In fact, 
No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. That's what Jesus is doing uh, already as he's saying these words. Jesus has come to tie up Satan and he does it, does it by paying for sin, by defeating death on the cross. Uh, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this to his disciples, John 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now the prince of this world, that's Satan, will be driven out. Uh, now, not, not in a couple of thousand years, not at an undisclosed time when I will come again, says Jesus, but now, he says, as he's going to the cross, judgment for sin and the ousting of Satan happened at the cross in this way. Satan is bound, and the deception that he practiced is over. Uh, with Jesus' resurrection, the gospel goes out, and the undeceiving begins. Uh, Jesus' command to the disciples before his ascension, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything at the very end of the age. Satan's power to deceive uh, is, is hamstrung, is, is, uh, is bound by the gospel. Uh, there will still be those who are deceived, of course, many we know. Sin is still with us. There's a final judgment coming. But the release of the gospel at the end, at the death and resurrection of Jesus, that means that the nations can be undeceived as the gospel goes out and there's nothing Satan can do about it. In fact, the places where it seems like Satan is working hardest to deceive, the gospel often spreads the fastest and with the greatest tenacity. The opposition and persecution that Christians so often face is not a sign of defeat. We simply persevere because we know we will share in Jesus' victory, the victory that has already been won. So if this thousand-year period, if the millennium is a time, that time between Jesus' resurrection and the second death, uh, well, it must be a symbolic number rather than an exact uh, number. That, that this shouldn't surprise us. Many numbers in Revelation are symbolic. Uh, we don't know how long uh, the millennium will last, but it is a time of completeness, uh, a time of completeness, a time uh, which God knows ahead of time and, and has already decided. He, he knows when Jesus is coming. Uh, and this number 1,000 uh, is often represents that idea of completeness in the Bible. Uh, in Revelation, we have the 144,000, 12 by 12 by 1,000, the, the complete number of God's people. Uh, what about in uh, Psalm 50, verse 10? Uh, for every animal of the forest... Is now, we don't read that and think, okay, which thousand hills? Because if God owns those cattle, maybe I can have the rest. <laughs> I mean, we don't read it that way. It means all animals, all cattle belong to God. In another sense, time doesn't mean to God what it means to us. 
Uh, we might think, when on earth is Jesus going to return? Haven't we waited long enough? That question has been asked by God's people in Revelation. Well, the answer is Jesus will return when God's plan is complete. Uh, the Apostle Peter, again in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. We don't know exactly how long this period of time will be, but we know that it will come to an end, and uh, the day that it comes to an end will be the day that Jesus returns in judgment. In the meantime, we live our lives as witnesses to God's goodness and love because we know he'll return, and we know that well, people need to be ready for his return. We know he'll return because we know the lamb wins. Uh, and this is what we see as we come to the end of chapter 20. Satan's judgment is completed here really with alarming ease. <laughs> uh, the great battle at the end of time is described in a grand vision with victory seemingly assured for Satan and his army. But again, God's people don't even lift a finger to fight. And the battle is won before it even starts. Have a look at, the, at uh, verses 7 to 10, Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now this often reminds me of the final battle scene in The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, some, many will be, some may not be, but uh, we have the, what's left of the Fellowship of the Ring there, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli uh, take what's left of the army of Rohan and they march up to the gates of Mordor, Mordor to challenge... Uh, Sauron to battle. Sauron's the, the Satan figure in, in this story. Uh, they're trying to buy time for the hobbits, Frodo and Sam, to destroy the ring. Uh, Sauron's army of orcs come out of the gates and they surround, they surround the good guys, outnumbering them, I don't know, about a thousand to one. Well, that's what it looks like <laughs> uh, in the movie. Uh, it looks hopeless and the battle begins, but as fighting begins, Frodo and Sam, they finally manage to drop that ring into the fires of Mount Doom, the ring melts, Sauron's tower collapses, and leaving the men of Rohan. It's a very similar picture to what happens here in Revelation, except that in Revelation, the people of God wins. Why? Because God fights for them. God joined the beasts in their eternal of Satan and his end. And the final judgment of all people who've ever lived uh, with those who reject 
God sharing the fate of Satan and those who belong to God, whose names are written in the book of life, being uh, the last few verses there of chapter 20, verses 13 to 15. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not. Sounds like a pretty uh, awful time, doesn't it? It sounds this would happen. Uh, John 5, verses 28 to 29. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to praising what's happening here uh, in the, the positive sense. Hebrews 9, verse 28. He will appear a second time, not to bear him. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that, well, these are the two options for all people. John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains. When Jesus returns, you want your name written in the book of life. Uh, we see more uh, of exactly what this all means for God's people next week as we look at the last 220 here. We're left uh, with a, a clear choice, a clear direction in either one way or the other. After reading these chapters, you know surely which way you want to go. There's no comparison between the power of God, the, the way life as we currently know it will end. Well, we have only one thing to do, <laughs> and that is serve and fear God. Those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell at the end of human history feast of the lamb uh, and what rejoicing there is for those who do uh, I look back at a few verses in chapter 19 again for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen stands for the righteous acts of god's holy people then the angel said to me write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added these. The book of life is the book that you want your name to be in. Uh, and how do you know your name is in that book? Well, your name is in that book if you trust in Jesus. Just because you do certain right things, uh, your name's not in the book if you think you've done enough for God or if you think your deeds are good enough for God. Given to where? The righteous acts that belong to you because of Jesus, because of his... Uh, we'll all be judged according to what we've done. And if our names are written in the book of life, God sees the, the deeds God sees. Uh, and it's then we know that we are saved. So let's keep trusting in Jesus. Uh, let's keep following Jesus as we wait for his return. And let's pray. Please pray with me. because you are a mighty and loving God. We praise you for your power in dealing with sin, in taking on yourself the punishment for sin through the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Sin and death are defeated and that we as your people might be saved. We praise you for this, Lord. We praise you with 
the heavenly hosts, we sing hallelujah. Lord, we pray that as your people, as people who do trust in Jesus, let us be encouraged by the fact that our names are written in the book of life. Let us be encouraged by this and let us live lives of service and honour to you. Help us to be a people who share the gospel, who share your word, that those who do not yet know you will come to be saved, will come to receive the salvation you offer and will be saved also on the day that Jesus returns. Lord, we pray that you might be glorified in our lives. We pray that you be glorified as your gospel goes out. We pray that uh, you be glorified as we await that day uh, in which that final judgment of sin will occur. And help us to be continually trusting in Jesus until that day. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final song this morning.